We're on a little bit of a rabbit trail from Romans chapter 10, where Paul said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And he said, but how are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach? And how is someone going to preach unless they are sent? And we've been kind of walking down the path, and where I want us to get to is that we're, we're the sent ones. Right? We're the ones who need to speak, to in, invite people, and to have uh, the kind of conversations. We're in 1 Corinthians this morning in chapter 3, and the title of the sermon is Links in a Chain, and I simply want by the time I'm done, hopefully for you to see yourself as a link in the chain of uh, someone else coming to Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 to 9, that what Paul writes, and he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each one. I planted and Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. Father, I pray that you would again open our hearts and open our eyes and that you would capture our imagination and the ways that you might use us in others' lives, that they may know Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've shared pieces of my testimony along the way and share, share it again. Some of you have heard it in different contexts, but I think it's, it's helpful for me in pointing out um, the way God works. Because I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up going to church, so I'm largely unchurched. So I was 18 years old, the middle of my senior year of high school when I came to Christ, when I heard the gospel for the first time. And so at that time, I was, um, you know, pretty entrenched in relationships and in bad habits and who I, I was and uh, had, had been doing it for so long. And I knew nothing about the scripture and nothing about. And so when a girl invited me to church and I went to the church first time, the pastor preached the gospel, invited us to put our faith in Christ. And I did. First time I heard the gospel, I put my faith in Christ, and I've been following Him ever since. I've not been in church in years. There was nobody in my life sharing the gospel with me. There were no Christians in my life. I was just a typical lost teenager. And if you had seen that day, you might have thought that it was spontaneous. That gospel was preached, and this guy just responded. But the reality is, if you'd seen behind the scenes, God had been in work in my life for a couple of years. Right? There were a bunch of things that had happened. He used a series of people and a series of events to bring me to the place where I was ready. When, when the gospel came, I was like a soap bubble that all you had to do is touch me with it. And it was, there it was. When I was a junior in high school, I was really struggling with an existential crisis. I really just didn't know what life was all about. I had friends. I was, high school was about the end. I had wasted my whole high school. I was, you know, uh, just lost. <laughs> and, and so coming to the end of high school, I didn't know what to do. My friends were applying to college. I had no plans or no thoughts of going to college at the time. I didn't know 
what life was all about. What was the point? Why do I want to go to college so I can get a job so I can do the, you know. I was really struggling, and about that time, I ended up having a serious car accident. I went head on with another car. Kind of awakened me to a number of things, and I had that senior year, moving from that into my senior year, God gave me this uh, English teacher. Uh, To this day, he has no idea what role he played in my life, but it was a significant year for me. I don't know if the guy was a Christian. The stuff that he had us read, he had us journal for the first time. He gave us a book and said, gave us prompts and had us read things and then had us journal and to write. Um, In between, you know, at that time, I found a dusty Bible in my closet. Nobody gave it to me. Nobody told me to read it, but I took it out and started reading it. I don't know what I was looking for in my closet, but so I'm reading the Bible and my mom said something that really stuck with me. My brother had said something that had piqued my curiosity. Just where you are in a moment when somebody says something where it takes you, how God might use it. Then there was a a girl who invited me to church. I ended up marrying her. But she invited me to church. First time I'd been to church in, in uh, years and years. And that's when I heard the gospel. But it was not spontaneous. Right? It was, it was the last link in a long chain of people and events, of comments and conversations and, and things that God was doing in my life. Which is often the way that it is. The path to repentance, the path to faith is often a long and winding one. Even in the testimony that we saw, the guy was raised in the PCA, he was raised in the church. You know, but it wasn't until a series of things led him to understand he really wasn't following Christ. Maybe he's not a Christian. Right? In those long and winding path that it took to get there. And each of these things, each of these people are like links in a chain that, that each one is discrete, you know, a link in a chain, it's just a, it, each one is its own thing, but when you hook them together and you put them in a row, you create, you know, a chain of events that leads, for me, to Christ. Today, I simply want us to, before you leave here, to, to desire and to pray and to look for opportunities to be a link in, the, in someone's chain that might lead them toward Christ. God uses a variety of people, and we see that's part of what's going on in this passage. He's using not just Paul, but Apollos. I'm sure people after Apollos. But that God is using these people. Now, as Paul talks about it, he's addressing a party spirit in the life of the church. Imagine that. Party spirit in the life of the church, some tribalism, some factionalism. You know, where these folks are are aligning themselves with their favorite pastor. You know, Paul, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. That's the kind of thing that he's addressing. Because Paul had planted this church. He went to Corinth, and he he had gone to the synagogue and preached, and he brought people to Christ, and he planted the church. He had scattered seed pretty broadly, and then he left. And Apollos came along, and he started following up on Paul's work in that church. Continued it, and he saw more conversions. You know, but people became focused on the preacher. They started thinking, and, and I, you know, people get to funny places, but they started thinking, you know, it was Paul that saved me, right? He led me to Christ. It was Paul that saved me, and there are others in the church. Well, Paul didn't save me. Apollo saved me. Apollo's my guy, right? I follow Apollo. Paul addresses this, and I think he does, says some helpful things for us as we think about the, the salvation and how people get there. 
And I think some things come clear in this text that are really helpful. And he's explaining to these guys that they're just messengers. Paul and Apollos are just messengers. He says, we are servants of the same Lord, right? We're not in competition with each other. We're both servants serving the same king. And he says, we didn't save you. Neither me nor Apollos. We can't give you faith in Christ. We didn't give you faith in Christ. Only God can do that, right? That's verse 5 where he says, we are servants through whom you believed. But we're servants. Only God can do it. Only God can change a heart. Only God can open blind eyes. And Paul says, God used us. In the best sense of that word, God used us. We were instruments in His hands. It was through us. But it was the Lord Himself that did it. And the Lord Himself who assigned each of us our role. Right? That's what He says. It is through whom you believed as the Lord assigned each of us a role. And I believe that He's still doing that in terms of bringing people to Christ and still as people find Christ, He's assigning each of us a role. We can be links in people's chain. There were people assigned a role in my life that said this or did this or gave me this assignment or did this thing that that, began to open my eyes and soften my heart. God used them. Apollos watered the seeds that Paul planted. And each one had their own divine appointments. I love that concept. We used to talk about that when I was uh, younger and in, in college. The idea of divine appointments. You know, we don't believe in luck. We don't believe in fate. We believe in providence. Providence is the idea that God oversees and ordains all things. That He's in control. And that the people in my life are there by accident. Whether it's my wife or my children, whether it's my parents, those people, God ordained. God gave them to me. But all the people that are in my life, the people you work with, the people you bump into, we believe that God orchestrates things. And there are divine appointments, opportunities that God has brought into our life that He might use us in a similar way to the way He used Paul and then Apollos and whoever came after Apollos. Each one was assigned their role, their link in the process. When I was in college, we, had, we lived in suites. So the, the dorms, they had you know, a, a central living area. And then there were three rooms off of it, two guys in each room. You know, so they had a suite, and you had suite, and you had a roommate, then you had four suite mates that had a shared living area. So when I, when I went to college, I just told you, I came to Christ when I was 18, so I was a baby Christian when I went to college. Baby Christian. But God gave me a good friend who became my roommate, a Christian guy whose grandparents were missionaries in the Congo, right? So this guy is, is 100 miles ahead of me. So in my junior year, when everybody else is moving up campus to Bluestone, the prestigious part of campus, the dorms that you can't get into until you're an upperclassman. And my roommate had the brilliant idea to say, which is the worst dorm on campus? That's where we're going. So I went and lived in the dorm I lived in as a freshman <laughs> because this guy had a missionary's heart. And we went and lived in this dorm, and we had sweet mates. And uh, amazingly, that year, God brought one of my sweet mates to Christ. You know, they lived next door to us, and, um, you know, we stuck out like a sore thumb in the worst dorm on campus, and we had conversation. We just lived with them. You know, we were their friends. We didn't, you know, 
we'd have conversations. They would ask about this, you know, why are you guys doing this? Why are you reading that? We'd have these conversations. And two, two of them, one guy asked all the questions, was so inquisitive, never came to Christ in, in our experience. Maybe later on he did. We planted a lot of seeds, but somebody else hopefully watered them, and maybe someday he did. But it was his roommate who was always there listening, never asked anything, never said a word, who six months later said, I want to follow Jesus, right? He came to Christ. But the, the process in there is I had talked to these guys. I mean, sometimes we're sitting around and I'm answering their questions. Other times my roommate does. And then they would, came to large group with us. So they heard a speaker speak. And so there was a bunch of times they came and heard something like this. And then, then they got to be friends with our friends and they had conversations and they were hanging out. And so one of them came to Christ. You know, we were all discreet people. I had conversation. Which conversation led them to Jesus? Which one was it? They would, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think it was even any one, right? It was each of those conversations. It was me spending time with them, then my roommate spending time with them, then my friend spending time with them, that speaker who said this, another speaker who said that. And I can honestly say, I don't even remember who led him to, who actually had the privilege of like leading him to Jesus, right? It was this, chain of things that went on throughout the year. Each of us being a link in that chain. Each of us having a, an assigned role. Some of us may have, so somebody was Paul who planted the first seed. Somebody was Apollos. And there was a lot of watering that went on. There was a whole bunch of Apolloses. But God used a bunch of college kids, right, who simply befriended them, simply loved them, conversations with them, answer, patiently answered questions over a long period of time. Each of us links in a change. We had an appointed role, and that's what I want us to, to see, that you have opportunities as we scatter seed and step out to be used of God. And that in that chain, you could, be, you could be the first link, you could be the fifth link or the eighth link, or you might have the privilege to lead them to Christ. They may be the bubble like me that's just ready to pop. Because eight other links, somebody else was faithful to just answer those couple of questions at that moment. And then had a different conversation where he pointed them in a certain direction. And then brought them and invited them somewhere. And then you have the privilege. But all of these things linked together. Jesus says in John chapter 4, Do not say four months more to the harvest. Do you not say there's four more months to the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes now and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, the harvests, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. The sower and the waterer and the reaper, whoever brings it down. Thus he says, one sows, but another reaps. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work. So he's saying there's... there's Different laborers who have done the hard work and ultimately you may not see the fruit. Somebody else may get to reap. But as you've had faithful conversations along the way, that's our job. The pastor that got to lead me to Christ, you may have thought he's the best preacher ever. Right? I see people coming to Jesus. But I walked in the door just waiting for somebody to tell me how. You know, to, to, to explain to me how it all fits together. I'd been reading the New Testament for months. Paul and Apollos were links in God's chain. 
And so Paul uses this image of planting and watering and growing, which is just another chain uh, of events, describes how people come to faith because there's scattering of seed and there's the watering process. And he, he's saying it's a process, and he uses an agricultural metaphor. Paul had planted, and Apollos came along and watered. But he says, ultimately, neither one of them saved anybody. Right? We can't save anybody. Farmers can't make things grow. They're not in charge of the sun or the rain. You get in charge of the sun, yeah, you don't know if it's going to be a desert or a rainforest. Right? I'm not in we're not in charge, you know, even of the germ of life that's in the seed. Right? The farmer can't make it grow. The farmer plants, the farmer waters, he does his job, but only God can bring life. This is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like this guy said, be unashamed of the gospel. Invite someone in. Invite someone and take them. You know, his sister who faithfully said, come, talk to my pastor. Sometimes it's just an invitation. They say for almost everybody who ends up in church or ends up, somebody invited them. Somebody was bold enough to say, why don't you come with me? Why don't you let me take you? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. That God is the one who brings life. Paul is the one who preached the gospel first. He scattered seed. He did it in the synagogue. He did it in the streets. It fell on various soils. Jews and Gentiles, some of each came to Christ. He planted a church. But there were others there who didn't come. The seed was sown, but they weren't ready yet. Or they were resistant to it. Or they weren't around, and after Paul left, they heard it second or third hand. And then Apollo shows up, picks up where Paul left off, waters some of the seed. And then he gets to see some of the fruit. But what we need to see in the course of this, and what Paul makes real clear, even though they were links in the chain and God did use them, is that ultimately everything depends on God's work. Those who plant in water, which is what he goes on to say in verse 6. I planted Paul water. God gave the growth. Only God can give the growth. So verse 7, so neither he that plants nor he that waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. So there's a sense in which, and when he says they're not anything, I don't, we're going to see that he doesn't mean they don't have a part to play. When he says they aren't anything, when it comes to seeing hearts change, only God can change a heart. Only God can open blind eyes. Right? Only God can give the growth. And so in one sense, we're nothing. I think this is part of what Jesus means when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't mean you can't tie your shoes without him. He's saying that you can't accomplish any spiritual good or change. You can't even change your own heart apart from his grace and power. Apart from the work of his Holy Spirit, apart from me, you're not going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Right? He's not bearing the fruit. Apart from the Holy Spirit... You're not going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Apart from me, you can't become anything spiritual. So he says we're nothing. God gives the growth. God is the Lord, the sovereign one who changes hearts and opens blind eyes. This is not our role. Our role is just to faithfully plant and to water and to wait and expect God to work. And the same is true even as I stand up here and preach. I believe the same thing is true in preaching. 
You can say this, that the preacher, that Tad and, and I, that the preacher, the planters, the waters are nothing. I know that when I stand up here for all my preparation and for all my work or for whatever I stand up here and say, if God isn't at work in your heart, if God doesn't open your eyes, if God doesn't soften you, if God doesn't bring that word home, if He doesn't convict you, if He doesn't, if he doesn't do that work, I can't make anybody believe. I can't make anybody grow. I can't make anybody anything. Spiritually, apart from Him, I can do nothing. But if, That's why I pray that every time we get up here that God, You would do it. He who plants, he whose waters in that sense is or nothing. But it makes it clear. Verse 8 goes on to say, but it does make it clear that we have a role to play. I still feel, feel comfortable this is my assigned lot, that he who plants and he who waters are one. They're working for the same Lord. They're working toward the same harvest. They have the same goal in mind. And they, and they are they are one and united. It's not Paul and Apollos, and you can't separate these things out. They're all one. They're teammates. And each one is going to receive their wages according to his labor. They have a role to play, right? And that's what he's saying. They're, they're, th- th- this is meaningful. It's not like, you know, we can't do anything, so we'll just wait for God to do it. The, the passage is so clear that, that this is how God does it. We're servants called to the work. God involves us and he uses us. Back to verse 5, which for me is the key thought in all of this. Servants through whom you believed. Right? It was through their sharing. I sweet made. It was through our sharing with him that God worked. It was God who worked. God who saved him. God who changed his heart, opened his eyes. But, but we faithfully planted and watered, got involved in someone's life, just befriended them. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God is making His appeal through us. When you open your mouth to speak the gospel, that He speaks in His time, in His way. And He accomplishes what He wants to accomplish. But He does it. The amazing thing is He does it through us. This is where B.B. Warfield says, we're not doing God's work for Him, but He's doing His own work through us. As each is appointed, as he says in verse 5, as the Lord assigned to each their role. And we have a role to be links in the chain. In some ways, by way of application, it's incredibly freeing to see and to understand that God is the one who's responsible for growth. He's responsible for the fruit. So I can stand up and week by week, if nothing happens, it's not my fault, right? But if everything happens, it's not my fault either, right? Only, only God can do it. As we faithfully do what he has assigned, as we faithfully speak, right? But God, this is, this is the beautiful thing, though. We know that God is at work. He says that he is building his church, and he did use them and through whom you believed. They came to faith because God was at work. It, like in my life, it, one of the things that encourages me to evangelism is my own experience, which is God was at work in my life, even without you know, other Christians sharing with me for years. So that when I first heard the gospel from a Christian, I accepted it. You think I'm the only guy like that out there? Right? God is at work in people's lives through 
tragedies, car accidents, the loss of a brother, right? Through people that he puts in our lives, teachers or assignments or books that they read, comments people make. God is at work. So when we faithfully, boldly step out and into somebody else's life and speak, God went before us. God goes ahead of us. God uses us. And you may be the third link in the chain. It just pushes them a little bit more toward in that direction. Or you may be the eighth link in the chain and you brought them so close and you may be the one who brings them or not. But he invites us to be part of the process. It's a beautiful thing to faithfully scatter seed and to water that seed and to know that God is at work bringing people to faith in Christ. It actually says that we are his co-workers, right? And verse 9 is really remarkable. He says that we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building, and those who hear the gospel and those whom we're trying to share and break up the ground there, you know, they got there, but they're God's. They're not our field. It's not my field. And it's not my church, but it's, it's God's, right? But he says we are his co-workers. Right, if I were to give you some task, some difficult, say, okay, you're in, a, you're in a science class, and I give you like the hardest, you know, here's your lab assignment. And you're like, uh, and then I tell you, but God is your lab partner. You're like, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the problem solved, right? And God, so whatever task he gives, this idea that he says God is your lab partner, right? God is your co-worker. So when he says faithfully scatter seed and, and faithfully water that seed, and he says The good news is God's your lab partner. He's in charge of the sun and the rain and the germ of life and the seed, and and he's able to do it. And so you're to enter in to say that in this process where God calls us out of ourselves to be involved and assigns to each of us opportunities, he's your partner and co-worker. Many envision evangelism as harvesting. To share the whole gospel, you know, to lead someone to decision for Christ. This is the way I learned it. I learned the gospel and, you know, who is God and who is man. And we were created for relationship and we fell from that relationship and it's broken. And God didn't leave it broken. He loved us and he sent his own son, you know, to fix the problem and to heal the thing. And, you know, so Jesus died to pay for our sins. And then now there's a cost involved you know, to follow Jesus, you got to take up your cross and, you know, this, and there's a response that's necessary. And so I learned it in this five-minute presentation, and I learned evangelism. We would go to Fort Lauderdale and Daytona, and not Daytona, but uh, Myrtle Beach and um, New York and other places to, to share the gospel, right? And it was always this thing where you want to go from A to Z. I want to get your attention. You want to have a conversation? Good. Start with A. I'm going to take you to Z. I'm going to see if I can't get you to make a decision for Jesus. Right? And often that's a scary thing to do, you know, to try to talk at someone and tell them everything, you know, we think of it as in telling people what we know. But the reality is that very few people come to faith the first time they hear the gospel. And it's usually, like me, the end of a process. And so my goal this morning is to kind of break up that process for you. And my goal is to encourage you to, be, to just want to be a link in the chain, to just have those opportunities to speak into someone's life. And instead of going A to Z on the gospel, everything from who God is and His holiness to, down to now there's a response and are you going to, you know, are you gonna, what are you going to do? 
is to just say, I just want to be the letter D in the A to Z process. And to, and to say that which you need to hear at this moment. Or maybe I get to do D, E, and F. You know, and that's my link. My assigned portion in your life at this moment. I don't have to take you all the way. It takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? To just be involved in people's lives. To love them. To have conversations. To, to venture out where God opens a door. Let me give you... A, probably two of the key tools in evangelism, which people, I don't think, think of it this way. And for me, it changes evangelism into a way that invites me in. And it's this, that I think two of the biggest tools, maybe half of evangelism, two-thirds of evangelism is asking questions and listening. Right? Treating people like people. Getting to know them. Caring about them. Listening to what their concerns are. Listening to what their pain is. Listening to where they are. If they're going through a crisis, to hear their pain and where they're at. And to maybe just speak into their life at that moment what they're able to hear. You know, and maybe you'll have more conversations. I had the privilege of talking to those guys throughout the year, you know, my sweet mates. But sometimes you'll have a conversation and you'll, you'll water seed that's there and... Pray that God takes him another time. But just to be Johnny on the spot, to say, here's the opportunity, my divine appointment, where God gives me a chance to speak into someone else's life, a word of truth, a word of encouragement, a word pointing that I will be a, a link in the chain. And maybe in those moments, God will give you, allow you to be the last link. Somebody is leading somebody to Jesus. Too often we see evangelism as talking at people. Telling people what we know. I've got this gospel in my head, and I've got the outline, and I want to tell it to you and make you make a decision. I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. Or there are opportunities where you really do get to talk through with somebody, and you know those are brilliant moments. But they're few and far between, at least in my life. I don't know about you. Maybe you're doing it every day. But what's not few and far between are opportunities to be a part of other people's lives. And to speak truth into them. And to want to be used of God. But it takes all the pressure off for me to simply learn to ask questions. To ask them where you're at spiritually, you know, in a conversation. Or where is your hope? What are you, how do you handle these things? Where, do you pray? You know, just sometimes there's that question. You know, I'm going through all this stuff. You know, have you, do you pray? Can I pray with you? Sometimes you offer prayer as a gift. Can I pray for you? I've never had anybody turn me down. Yes, please. People that I know have nothing to do, you're not spiritual at all. When I've offered, can I, can I pray for you? Say, sure, go ahead. Let, me, let, let them hear you pray. Talk to your father on their behalf. I mean, there's so many ways where, you know, you just offer prayer as a gift. And usually people accept it. If they say no, you're like, all right. <laughs> you don't, you, you don't, for me, it's never forcing anything. Don't make them listen to A to Z if they, at D, you, their eyes glazed over and, and they're really not listening. Stop with D. And, and start talking about lunch, right? You know, just take what God gives you and not to, to force people, but to respect them and to love them and to speak into their lives. And in some ways, you've earned it. If you've li- listened to them and been their friend and then it comes up and you have something to say, generally, you've earned the right and they're listening. They'll listen. Because you're their friend. You're, you're a known quantity, so when you have lunch with your coworkers or with your schoolmates or you have opportunities to listen to people's problems, to ask questions and 
probe and to listen and get to know them and let them feel cared for because they are. Give the Holy Spirit time to do His work. And if we're patient and God's timing and by God's power, eyes are opened. God may let you be the first contact. Break fallow ground. First, I haven't thought about this in years. I haven't had a spiritual thought. You might be there in the middle. But to see yourself that I am a link. If these people are in my life, there are divine appointments and God is sovereign over the the sphere of influence He's put me in and to to pray and to desire and to look for those opportunities. And I I really do believe that if we actually have the imagination to see ourselves in that role in life, if we desire it, I I want to have the opportunity and I pray for it, and I, I'm asking God to open doors and, 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 and let those conversations happen, and I'm looking for those opportunities in a sense, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready. If the door should open, I believe God will give us opportunities. My friends, we're co-laborers with God, which means God is already powerfully at work in people's lives like He was in mine. And he's, and he's working and doing things in people's lives that bring them to their knees. Right? And we're, we're those who are sent. How will they believe if nobody tells them? And who's going to tell them? Right? Unless we see ourselves as the sent ones. Right? In your sphere of influence, wherever you are in work, in family, in school, and wherever you are, you're, that's your assigned, in a sense, field. And you see yourself sent there, praying for, looking for, hoping for opportunities. And God will use our feeble attempts in, attempts in ways that you can't imagine. Sometimes I think when we learn to just ask questions, it frees us up. So many times I think we're... we're we don't, we don't step out because I'm afraid. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I can't answer their question? You know, what if they're not interested? Well, if they're not interested, I don't, there's no pressure to force anything, right? And if I don't have all the questions, if I'm asking the questions, I don't have to know all the answers, right? And all I have to do is look for the opening to speak the truth into their lives, right? But it pulls off this idea that God is at work. God is at work. You don't know where, but if you touch the bubble, it's just the right moment. But you've got to be touching, right? You've got to be asking. You've got to be probing. You've got to be stepping out, being bold. And God will use our feeble attempts in ways you can't imagine. So let's desire it. Let's pray for it. Let's pay attention to it. And let's ask for the boldness to ask appropriate questions just at that moment. How are you handling this? What resources do you have? How, how do you deal with your grief? How do you deal with the pain of that? Where do you look for, for strength in moments like this? You know, just, you can think out of a hundred questions that just can crack the door open and step inside to be a link, one link in the chain. I love verse 5 and leave you with that thought that we are servants through whom others will believe as the Lord has assigned to each of us. Our role. God really works to us. It's how He does it. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. And we thank You for the privilege of being Your co-laborers. Father, we don't want to be lame lab partners. 
Father, help us to do our assigned role. Help us to plant and to scatter seed. Help us to water it. Teach us to love people and just to be a part of their lives and to, to listen and to venture out with questions and caring. And ultimately, Lord, we would love to see people come to know Jesus. Father, help us to see ourselves as sent. Capture our imagination with the powerfully truth the powerful truth that you have gone before us in these people's lives, that you are at work opening blind eyes, changing hearts. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.